This is Melissa Milner. Welcome to the Teach Your Eyes podcast. The goal of this weekly podcast is to help you explore your passions and learn from others in education and beyond to better your teaching. The Teacher As Podcast will highlight innovative practices and uncommon parallels in education. In this episode, I interview Trey Hedrick, who is a middle school counselor. He's been working with children for 16 years. He is an author and a TEDx speaker. Welcome to the Teacher As, Trey Hedrick. Uh, thank you, Melissa. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm very uh, fortunate to share my insight about education and other topics with you today. Yes, I'm very excited to hear your perspective and all your experience. First of all, before we even get into those details, just in general, what would you like the teacher as listeners to know about you? I care about the greater good of every child and that I want to see that all children are well-equipped with the social-emotional skills as well as um, being able to read with literacy skills. You're a middle school counselor. You're talking about social emotional skills. Are you able to spend a chunk of time working on that with students or are you able to be more proactive about issues or are you more just having to just put out fires all day long? I'll say both. Um, It happens on both uh, ends of the spectrum. Um, As a middle school counselor and I actually, uh, I am more in charge of our seventh and eighth grade as my my duty. Um, So it's more like a high school style school counselor, but um, there is a, a strong proactive approach to that. Our career readiness, we prepare our students for post-high school graduation, um, entrepreneurship, career awareness, career preparation, and acquisition, as well as, you know, we talk about management, time management. You know, we're trying to work on financial literacy as well for our students, but then you also have sometimes your, your problems, peer issues, you know, we have those type of, um, you know, household issues. So we have had to put out those type of fires. So it, it definitely is some challenges that, that we face. Do you have classes or is it more students come to you at certain times? How, what, how is that set up? Students do um, come to me sometimes by request, often by appointment, as well as, you know, I can pop into classes to speak to children and, and the class in, in general. Um, depending on how that situation is. It varies on, you know, how things are going. And and as with our new world of education, you know, post-COVID, I think that's going to change even even more. So it'll be very interesting to see how it ends up being. Yeah, that's a good point. You mentioned literacy. How are, as a counselor, how are you also working on building literacy for the students at your school? So over the last year or so, as an educator in general, you know, I fell in love more um, with the, the task of making sure all children can read. And I was exposed to the science of reading through some friends of mine, which is uh, Teach My Kid to Read. It's a nonprofit out of uh, New York, Marion O'Waldeman and Faith Burkowski. And, you know, from that experience, you know, I, I was able to like learn about phonemic awareness, phonics, the sound, the 44 sounds of the alphabet. From there, I, I connected to my counseling aspect. I know some of our children, when they can't read and write, you know, their behaviors change, right? And we know how that looks in the classroom. So as a counselor, you know, now, from what I've learned over the last 13 months or so, you know, it's just to really look at children in the beginning about their literacy and their um, their education, right? When they come to you with a social and emotional problem, and sometimes that's the foundation of it. I can't do work. I'm acting out in class, you know, and you realize a kid can't read. 
you know, and it's like, okay, this is not as hard as we think, right? Depending on how far along the child is in their academic career, but the problem solving is more like, okay, let's get you some skill sets where you can, can compete in the classroom to be successful for yourself. Because if you can't read, everything else is really going to go downhill, right? And if the work is more challenging and we don't address that issue, it's putting a Band-Aid on a, on a river and it's just not going not to make a difference. Right. Would you then be trying to teach that or you're setting them up with an educator in the school that can teach them that? Yeah, I would set them up with an educator in the school. I mean, I, I don't know how far I would go until a counselor starts to teach that. Like outside of my, you know, nine to five, I'm working on learning how to teach kids how to read. I created a character, uh, Mr. Lit, as in literacy. And, you know, his whole mission is to promote, you know, the science of reading and reading in general um, and just trying to push the, you know, the emphasis that all children deserve to learn how to read. Yeah. So it's the overall philosophy of how important it is and how it affects their self-esteem and their behaviors. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. That's the challenge. And and even, you know, myself, I'm also an adjunct professor at Villanova for our, their, their school counseling department. And in there, I speak to my students about that as well. You know, and I said, we have to talk about literacy, even as school counselors. Like, we have to think about that because, you know, a lot of the problems that come about, I know we talk about our academic you know, issues through our ask a model. But when we talk about literacy and especially for our younger students and some of the children who can't read, their behaviors just go left field. And then it's like, okay, let's work on that. And how do we get that intervention in place? Makes a difference. That's great. I know, because I have the book, speaking of reading, I know that you wrote a very adorable book. Do you want to talk about that? Oh, Cheesesteaks and Clippers. Oh, wow. Well, first, let me say thank you for purchasing the book. You're welcome. You're welcome. Cheesesteaks and Clippers is the title of my first published children's book, uh, where it speaks about a young man, a young boy um, in a barber shop, and it speaks about what he learns from his community. Ironically, you know, he doesn't get a haircut throughout the book, you know, he, but he learns so many amazing um, skill sets and tasks and, you know, just just learning from from the men in the barber shop, right? And he learns about you know, uh, it takes a village to help someone or stand for something or fall for anything, you know, or respect, respecting women. You know, it's just a lot of things that, that he learns as a young boy, you know, he never gets a haircut to the very, very end, but it just, it was a way for me to explain to the world, my experiences as a child in the barbershop. Ironically, I did name the character after my son. It just was a good way to bring things together. And, and they always said, if you can explain it in, you know, the world of a child, that means you understand it. And you can also teach a lot, you know, a lot of others that, that same lesson. Does Ernesto enjoy the book? Oh, he loves the book. He loves the book. And some of the mannerisms actually are like like him. Like when he's in the barbershop, he's quiet. He does observe a lot. So it is very similar. That's awesome. But, you know, it was more me explaining my experiences through the eyes of a child. You know, I love, I mean, the barbershop, I've seen it in movies, portrayed in movies. It is sort of its own little ecosystem. And I think it's just so electric when you see scenes in movies. And the book sort of captures that as well, just that it's its own little ecosystem slash family. It is. And I think, you know, the the experience, but also the power, right? And in, in, in every community, I know as an educator, I think it's very important to connect with those small businesses, the mom and pops 
that are like lifelines to, and bloodlines to the community and, and, and in the black and brown community and even in Caucasian. But I know definitely from my experience as an African-American male, in our community, the, the barbershop is a bloodline. It doesn't you know, discriminate, right? You have all walks of life from your pastors to your businessmen, to your athletes, to your odd job Joe workers, to everybody. And different generations, right? Generations, yes. And you learn to respect and understand and fellowship, you know, and it just is an important experience that, that many overlook. Yeah, it's so awesome. It's, you know, the simplest of things. It's a place you go to get your hair cut, but it's so much deeper than that. Oh, you learn to give up your seat to the elderly elderly man in the barbershop. Yeah. You know, that just teaches. And, and often you'll hear, well, these children are, you know, single parent households and fatherless homes. Like a lot of things you hear about black kids. And and honestly, you know, some of the, the statistics are true. Not all of them are. However, there are there are places like that that make up and take care of those situations, you know, where the barber becomes the mentor or the father figure to a lot of children within the community. So it's, it's just a powerful situation. Very cool. Can you talk about your TEDx talk, your TED talk thing? <laughs> sure. So I, I did a uh, TEDx speech at TEDx Narstown. I believe it was 20, oh man, maybe three years ago, 2018, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but you can find it on YouTube, but it's called The Seeds of Leadership. Yes. And I spoke about leadership and using, I guess, the, the story of when someone plants the seeds for bamboo, right? And it takes time for bamboo to grow. And you plant the seeds and you water the bamboo and, you know, year one and nothing's coming up. And then year two, you might see a, a little leaf, you know, but by year five, you know, it's sprouting like 50 feet in the air. And you're like, well, how did that happen? Right. But that's like I looked at leadership. It's the same thing. It takes time for it to grow. Like you just got to continue to water and continue to work at it. During my speech, I broke down the word seeds into an acronym, which was sacrifice, equality, end game, development. And strategy. Those are the five words for the seeds of leadership. And I just, you know, I spoke about how important to me, you know, those five words are as a leader, but you don't have to be a leader like in a business or in a school. You know, you can be a leader in your own personal space, right? In your own family, in your own community, your neighborhoods, your block, your whatever it might be, right? It, it, you can be a leader. And I think those five words, sacrifice, end game, preparing with the end in mind, you know, equality, which I sort of switched that now to equity, you know, development and, and strategy. Um, those, those five words to me just make up and encompass everything. Have there been any moments with students that you really think the teacher as listeners could learn from? Definitely. Um, I have one in particular that always uh, sticks out. I think two years ago, if I'm not mistaken on my timeline, I, I've been blessed to be so busy. Sometimes I forget, you know, how long <laughs> are, but, you know, I had a young man in my building um, who, you know, always spoke about trains and he was very knowledgeable. I think at the time he was in like fifth grade, maybe if not sixth grade, but he always spoke about trains um, and he just knew everything, like just statistics that the, the, the average adult would never know. And he, he knew everything. I'm like, this is amazing. So, with his parents' permission, I videotaped him one day talking about trains. So he was going through and I asked him questions and I said, you know, how big is this? How far is the rail? You know, how long does it go? He could answer everything. And I posted it on social media because he never 
at that point, he's never rode a train before. And I posted on social media and I said, I just want to get this kid a chance to go to Am. I think he was on SEPTA, which is here locally in the Philadelphia area, our transportation. But I don't think he was ever um, on Amtrak. So I posted it on social media and there was an individual who was like anonymous, you know, in a positive way. And this this individual paid for the young man and his mother to ride a train from Philadelphia to Washington, D.C. Wow. Yeah, stay overnight. Um, I believe one or two nights, and then they rode the train train back. Aww. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and to this day, I mean, it was really like you know, as an anonymous person who contacted me, um, sent the the tickets to the mother via email, met them at the hotel, and this is it's cra- it sounds crazy, but it's a true, honest story. Lady was there. I think she paid very quick and then just left. You know, because I I'm not sure her occupation. I don't because. When I met her through social media, her handle was an alias, you know, as in like Wonder Woman or something, you know, you know, she's just like, I'm here to help. And I was really nervous. I'm not going to lie, but it was an amazing experience. And I just took a a leap of faith and I said, sure. So the mom contact, they spoke, she sent the tickets, the young man and the mother went down to Philadelphia, got on Amtrak. He wrote, I mean, this amazing experience, took pictures. That's to me what education is about. Like it, it wasn't about A's and B's. It was about experience, exposure, you know, and, and empowerment. And that child was able to be empowered from that experience. And it was all free, all, all from social media. That's terrific. Oh, my gosh. Related to this, and this might be the same thing. Do you have a proudest moment in your work so far as an educator? This might sound biased, but during the time, when I met uh, Faith and Miriam from Teach My Kid to Read, um, my son was struggling with reading himself. So he went through their, uh, they call it train to trainer program, but it's also like a, like a tutoring program that he did some, some sessions with Faith um, Burkowski with her high five literacy and academic coaching, which is like separate from Teach My Kid to Read. But she basically rewired his brain with phonemic awareness and phonics. And I say that's my proudest moment because I am an educator, even though I'm a father first. But when my son could read certain words on the page, it was it was one of those moments. Like when he when he told me before he had this training and this um, new way to think for reading, you know, he said the words on the page were like alphabet soup. Oh, yeah. As an educator, whether it was my son or not, that was a proud moment. And then we also were able to eventually have another young man in our community get the same tutoring and he's now on his path to being able to read so that's like a really proud moment for for me it is recent but i think it just sticks out because the more i learn about education as much as i thought i've known much right there's nothing more important than reading nothing yes a lot of educators that's their passion you know it's just opening up the whole world to be able to help a kid to read that's amazing what are you zooming in on right now in your work Zooming in. You know, just piggybacking on what we just said, honestly, I'm truly zooming in on literacy and how correcting some of the ills of the way people look at dyslexia and illiteracy and making sure children by third grade can read that can connect with counseling. So trying to really connect literacy and school counseling together is one of my like focuses now because I just see the effects. I see how the school-to-prison pipeline, I see the behaviors, usually even children who can't read. I mean, it's just hand-in-hand. Hand. It's, it's scary how similar the statistics are 
for some of the children who struggle, even the mental health, depression and suicide ideation, like that's all in there. Yeah. So I, I just really think if we can hone in as a, as a country regarding our literacy our practices and really go by the science that allows children to, to have a better stronghold and grasp of reading, I think it's going to be a world of a difference. And it'll make our children more competitive for the ever-changing world. In the- yeah, it'll make it more equitable. Absolutely. Do you have a lot of diversity at your school? Yes and no, right? So the word diversity to me means different, not just races, but like difference in people, right? So I would say you have a lot of diversity. There's a lot of different children, whether we're 100% white or 100% black or brown, you know, there's diversity within just those groups of individuals in general, right? Not just a racial breakdown difference. Yes. But racially, diversity-wise, we're not. I, I would say we're more, we're just, we're black and brown with a maybe a 10 to 20% um, white population and other. So that's our, our breakdown. If we're saying like it was something really diverse, you know, it would be maybe like 10, 10, 10 or 25, 25, 20, you know, like right. truly diverse, but we're, we're majority black and brown, a small population of, of white Caucasian and Asian. And, and are you urban or rural? So some people call it suburban, uh, but I would say it's urban. I mean, the demographics and the 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 uh, economic challenges, you know, is very similar to being in a big city. So, you know, some people call it suburban urban, you know, it's whatever they can say. Some people just want to hold on to the suburban feelings so you don't have to say it's an urban environment, but it is a very urban environment. The literacy challenges are affecting everyone in the country. And the more I've learned over the last year, the big difference is some people have financial resources to get outside help to help their children, you know? And I was blessed to do that with my son. But as I always tell people, like, that's not my mission to say, okay, well, my son can read, so I'm not worried about anybody else. You know, I'm not, I'm never like that. I mean, right. if we look at our economic challenges within this country, there's way more people on the moderate to low income side than there is on the, the high end, right? So, and in my community where, you know, X percent, and I can't tell you the exact number off my head, but are below the poverty line, I know they won't have a chance unless things are changed within the system. Within the system, absolutely. And the system, unfortunately, was, you know, established to not allow for that equity. You're, you're, you're so true. And that's why I think even more, you know, in my, uh, my path and my walk of life, you know, I, I think it's so important because, you know, it was 200 plus years before black slaves at that time before the word African-American came, but the black slaves were allowed to read. You know, it was it was illegal, right? So I think if we talk about so many challenges in our country and, you know, George Floyd and all these issues that people talk about, you know, we have to go back to our education system and really look at, you know, how we are producing individuals to serve society. You know, and when we look at that, that really tells you, you know, some of our ills because that's where it all starts. Right. It sounds like you should be doing something with literacy. Is your passion now more for literacy or for counseling, or can you really have an equal passion for both? What do you think? I think you can have an equal passion for both because I think coming out of this pandemic, we're going to need a lot of mental health you know, support for everybody. And I think that's important to make sure that we address it and to normalize 
uh, mental health. But some of the causes of mental health in the school building is, you know, our challenges with dyslexia and illiteracy. So I think you can you can definitely address both of them. You just have to have to want to do it, you know, and be intentional with it and not try to put a Band-Aid over it. Right. How can people reach you if they want to learn more about what you do? So you can reach me on Twitter at Mr. Lit EDU, as well as on Instagram at Mr. Lit EDU. I'm on uh, LinkedIn, Ernest Trey Hadrick III. You know, honestly, and I know this sounds uh, <laughs> sort of cliche, but you can Google myself, you know, Google my name and you'll find on there. There's a lot of articles. Um, there's resources that can connect with me from, from there as well. And you're there, you're on there as Ernest or Trey? On LinkedIn, I'm on there as Ernest Trey Hadrick. Okay. But like I said, there's just plenty of articles, different research, things that I've, I've done. It's been fortunate. I, I don't know. I, I have a knack for ingenuity and creativity. And when I see something, I'm like, how do I bring about the, dis- the discussion or what is the solution for this, this problem? Awesome. Before I do the last question, is there anything else you were hoping to talk to the listeners about today? I would just want you know people to, to really understand that coming out of this pandemic, we need to really focus on education and the experience of education, right? Not just the straight A's of education, but making sure children are getting a holistic experience. I think one thing that was very unique during this, this time is that a lot of parents were able to witness their children in school. And I know, you know, some people agree with it or don't agree, but for years, some some educators were not sending home homework, right? Because there was an understanding that some children don't have the supports at home to do the homework. But now when they were home and they were exposed, parents were seeing some of the challenges that their children were going through, right, in, in person. So I think it woke up the, the masses to like, we need to really address education on a whole. And I think if we address education on a whole, we're able to, to fight some of the ills of society. A lot of people were virtual for the last year and children weren't being suspended, suspended from school, no detentions from school, right? Like, how do we keep that going? You know, granted, I'm not saying virtual is the only method, but <laughs> how do we keep that positive culture going of not saying, okay, you need to go home for three days because of an incident? What does that really prove? You're taking that child away from the learning. You are. <laughs> and away from the opportunities. And, and at home, there might be major trauma and turmoil going on. We never ask the question, like, why? Like, I always, I'm, I'm coming to a point in my life where I think, like, if something has been going on for quite some time, like, for example, this might sound uh, funny, but like 16 years old to drive a car, right? To get your license. Yeah. Like, why did it start? You know, is that really the age that children are most mature to get behind the wheel, right? It's like, terrifying. <laughs> correct, right? So you think about like why and you go back in history and try to see, oh, so they chose 16 because kids were working and it took them 45 minutes to walk to work. So they allowed the A's to come down, you know, whatever it might be. I don't right. know if that's the truth, but we need to start looking at that. And why do we suspend after a fight at school, right? And depending on, I'm just saying this being honest, right? Depending on how bad and whatever the case may be, but what the three days, where did the, the rule three days is the suspension? Like, what is that? What is that really size? Is that saying three days of social and emotional support? 
to get back into the environment or three days away, as you said, from the education yeah. uh, setting that really is just pushing you further behind. So we're saying you're not allowed to learn more. Like, that's not what it is. We need to help you with the social skill set that might be off. Right. That's causing the fighting and causing. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So the three day suspension is, like you said, the Band-Aid that doesn't work. This is our last question, and this is something I'm very curious to hear your answer. What is your favorite movie and why? Wow, my favorite movie. Um, I have different movies that I like, but, you know, just different reasons. Coming to America. And, <laughs> but one movie that really sticks out <clears throat> is uh, Men of Honor. Oh, yeah. With uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. and Robert De Niro. That really sticks out because of the perseverance that Carl Brashear um, showed in that movie from becoming the first African-American uh, scuba, what's it called, Navy divers, you know, underwater scuba diver, you know, within our country. But I think the perseverance he showed to get to that point, I remember when they, they sliced his bag, you know, when he was trying to put the, um, the mechanism together underwater and he was freezing, he was there for hours and they said, this is crazy. He kept going, and then his leg got cut off, and then he rehabilitation, and then he had to go in front of the um the board. Yeah, right. I don't know the technical term, but he had to go in front of them and show that he could walk with the the heavy um suit on and everything. But it just to me, it was just a powerful movie. It taught me so much. I think that came out like in two thousand. Yeah, it's an older one. Yeah, it's an older movie, but it really just it resonated with my soul you know, that you just can't give up. And and as much as I've had success, you know, in the, the past years and just basically in life in general, I, I've just been fortunate, you know, nothing that I've done different, just a little bit of hard, hard work, but, you know, it just told me like, you know, even though with the success, you're going to have challenges. And if you don't think you're going to have challenges, you're not going to be successful. I just learned that and I'm, I'm not perfect, but I just try to my best to do the best that I can do um, and making a difference, you know, to leave my mark. I'm going to go back and watch that for sure. Cause I remember enjoying that. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time out. You're a very busy person. So I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. If you enjoyed this episode and have not done so already, please hit the subscribe button for the teacher as podcast. So you can get future episodes. I would love for you to leave a review and a rating as well. If you have time for my blog, transcripts of this episode, and links to any resources mentioned, visit my website at www.theteacheras.com. You can reach me on Twitter and Instagram at Melissa B. Milner. And I hope you check out the Teacher As Facebook page for episode updates. I am sending a special thanks to Linda and Lester Fleischman, my mom and dad, for being so supportive. They are the voices you hear in the Zooming In soundbite. And my dad composed and performed the background music you are listening to right now. My intro music was Upbeat Party by Scott Holmes. So what are you zooming in on? I would love to hear from you. My hope is that we all share what we are doing in the classroom in order to teach, remind, affirm, and inspire each other. Thanks for listening. And that's a wrap.